This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey guys, Lane here with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. The other day, this girl called me, and she was a casting director from New York, and they were making a new HGTV show about flippers or wholesalers. I don't know what they were doing, but I talked to her on the phone, and I told her what I did, and she said that was pretty boring. And I was like, "Yeah, it's not really made for TV. You know, you just buy these properties out of state." So yeah, that's pretty much going to be the closest I get to television. I'll keep doing these podcasts. So I've been getting a lot of questions from that Turnkey podcast, and there were three of you in particular that sent a whole bunch of questions. So three listeners can't be wrong. Today we got a few listener questions. I hope I'm not typecasting myself into the Turnkey or out of state hybrid dude. I see myself as an improving investor who does not know everything, but just merely building my network and experience to do bigger and better deals. So here's the first question. Are you visiting these locations at any frequency and for the initial purchases, or are you able to have enough trust and working relationship with other professional resources at those locations? First of all, I have visited the teams in Birmingham and Atlanta, but that was probably about a year, year and a half ago after I bought the first property. I felt really comfortable on these trips. The people were real nice, and it really was a legit business. I was really surprised, especially with Birmingham, that the houses were a lot more spread out, and it seemed a lot more like a suburb. And these were even in the C plus B minus areas. A lot different from you know Seattle or your your normal more populated cities. People always say that they need to go visit these locations and meet the team, but I really question if it's needed from a business perspective. I mean, you're gonna spend about a thousand dollars on travel, hotel, food, and just if you have to take off time from work and doing something other than traveling to Birmingham, you're only gonna get about two to four thousand dollars of cash flow a year out of each of these properties. So a thousand bucks is kind of like burning up half of your cash flow. So it's not really worth it, in my opinion. Unless you're kind of that person who needs that warm and fuzzy feeling to go to bed at night, and you're going to buy a bunch of them. But when you buy stocks or mutual funds, I mean, you don't go to New York and shake hands with the executives of the stock mutual fund folks, do you? Question two: Do you have any turnkey recommendations? So I get this question a lot, and when I do get it, that's all the question there is. And I'm like, really? Like, how lazy can you be? I mean, I know a lot of people are pretty busy. But there's also a lot of people who are just lazy and just wanting to get free answers from other people. Like I said before, this is a time for you guys to build a minimal level of competence through asking questions and trying to figure out what's what without getting the answer in the beginning. I mean, if you don't want to do any work, heck, I'll do it for a few thousand dollars for you. Another reason I don't like these questions are these are the questions asked by people who ask all these questions and never follow through themselves because they just haven't been bought into the whole idea of buying real estate and they're just another tire kicker out there. Another thing is I don't want to be held liable for recommending a certain turnkey provider and turns out things change and they're not a very good one anymore. 
And the last thing is, I don't really care about getting any kind of silly referral commission. That's why I made this podcast in the first place, because there are a whole bunch of random folks out there trying to seemingly help other buyers, when really all they do is CC your name on an email to the turnkey provider and pick up like a 1500 bucks or a 1000 bucks. And I thought that was really messed up, and they didn't really help you in a way. And it was just a big part of a big marketing scheme. Question number three. Well, I need to narrow down my markets and look at the data. So I see this as a big excuse to dumpster dive in technical hell. There are about eight markets out there that are good, robust economies, like not Detroit, and good rent-to-value ratios that support viable cash-flowing investments. And these, some of these listed out are like Chicago, Memphis, Indianapolis, Birmingham, Atlanta, the Carolinas, Jacksonville, Florida, Kansas City, Ohio. Dallas is cool, but it just lacks the cash flow because it's been going up in price and it's a lot more of an appreciation play. But I like it for apartment buildings. And then not Arizona and not Las Vegas. They're just too volatile. Other than these locations, why go out to anybody else where there's not a proven team or a proven market that other people are going to? I always say stand on the shoulders of giants and value add after that point. You can nitpick the different markets, but in my opinion, I don't see much difference between, say, Birmingham and Atlanta. And we all know Birmingham has a lot more cash flow than Atlanta, and Atlanta is a lot more appreciation. But when I look at my spreadsheet, I mean, it's not more than on average... per month cash flow with Atlanta being more of appreciation potential. I had a conversation with another investor the other day and he was really into optimizing all the data from the best markets and really picking the best one or two. I was trying to get him to get over this hump of trying to analyze all the markets and this is the response I gave. It was kind of like raising young kids where picking the right market for your rental is kind of like deciding what your kid wears that day. And picking the right vendor or team for your turnkey provider or who you're going to buy your properties from and your property management is kind of like helping your kid pick the right friendships, which we all know is more important than what they wear. So I said, send your kid with some decent clothes and emphasize on picking the right friends. I don't have any kids, so really what do I know? But the point is, emphasize on finding the right team and getting the right trust in folks And don't really spend too much time on which market you're going to go. I mean, there's all this data out there, and it's just ridiculous in terms of what are the key performance indicators in that data. I mean, I'm an industrial engineer, and I can build you one of those ANOVA tables and try to figure out what's the key performance indicator, but there's just really no way of doing it. And it's an art, not a science. And why stray from the top eight markets that everybody else is going to? Question number four. Tenant-grade materials. I hear you mention this a lot. No garbage disposals, laminate floors. Can you please expand? So go down the list here. Garbage disposals are the number one fix I see. I mean, heck, I even had one in my own house. A little rock got stuck in there. It just didn't even cycle. And all you had to do is get rid of that rock. I mean, that could have potentially been a $100, $200 fix right there. So why even have them? Next one is laminate floors. This is something that all the cool kids are using these days. It's indestructible. 
and it looks really cool, and you don't have to be changing it out every time you have a new tenant. That leads into carpet. I do not like carpet anywhere in the house. Some people will want it in the bedrooms, in the more higher end rents that are higher than say twelve hundred dollars a month. But it's just something that you have to just keep in replacing. I mean, these people are wearing shoes in the house. They they are treating it like rentals. Like when you guys have rental cars, carpet is just. I would just stay away from that. The garage door. I mean, a lot of us have garage doors to, that open up. I really don't see the point in that in a rental. It's just another thing to break. I did have one of my tenants ask for a garage door opener. There was already a garage door, so that expense was done. But they just wanted the opener, which was a few hundred dollars. I mean, I communicated that it just really wasn't going to raise the rent, and I said, you know, if we're going to put this garage door opener in, are you guys going to pay much more rent to make up the difference? And they never. I never heard anything after that. So I guess they didn't really want it. They really didn't want to put their wallet where their mouth was. Next thing is the washing machine and dishwasher. You know, a lot of these things are market specific. I went to Birmingham, and a lot of these people didn't have washing machines and dishwashers. I I know that may seem just crazy to most of us listening on the podcast. These are the big ticket items that have a potential to break, and it's just the normal way in life in a lot of these towns is these people just go to the local laundromat and do their laundry that way. The last thing that I just wanted to say is, yeah, we want happy tenants, but the number one goal is the maximizing the rent. And I would use a general rule of thumb is that if you're not getting a twenty percent year over year return on your investment, or at least breaking even, I wouldn't really do any of these upgrades. So, for example, if that garage door opener was only a hundred dollars, and the tenant was willing to bring up the rent. Ten or twenty dollars a month. Yeah, I probably do it for them just to make them happy. But if they're not willing to open up their wallet and pay for a little bit, or at least split the difference, or pay half, then I'm not willing to make the change. Question number five. I initially thought Indianapolis was where I was going to go, but wasn't comfortable with the responsiveness of the turnkey company, so I backed off. I just want to remind folks that these guys are primarily rehabbers, and it doesn't really mean that these guys are bad that they're not getting back to you in a super timely fashion. Do you want to be paying for that extra bloat of someone who just does sales all day long? I wouldn't. Question number six: Wow, the performance and rent-to-value ratios in Chicago and Florida are off the charts. Always do your detailed spreadsheet to account for all the costs and verify each line item. And a lot of people say that Chicago and Florida are that's why they're going to go there because wow, look at the cash flow and, and performa, it's awesome. Well, Chicago has three times the amount of taxes as all the other markets, and it's really anti-landlord state. And Florida has two times insurance because of all the hurricane potential there. Indy has like a two percent investor tax. Overall, you, when you add these markets all together. And you kind of normalize all the nuances. It really normalizes all the markets, and to me, they are all the same. It's really the team in place that means more to your bottom line. Question number seven: You talk about buying turnkeys three ways: a marketer, hybrid with agent, and direct from turnkey provider. What's the best? Depends on your situation. A green investor should go with a marketer or a mentor slash agent. A more experienced investor can work directly with the turnkey provider. I have personally switched between direct and with an agent. Question number eight: 
Do you prefer to stay with newer homes, say 1990 or 2000 and newer, or are you okay with older homes from the 60s or 70s as long as they're in good condition and neighborhoods and have been rehabbed? I prefer newer because that means you will have a newer curb repeal. However, those come in with a bit of a higher price, so it's unclear if it makes sense in terms of value, which is your utility divided by your cost. I don't discriminate between older homes, granted that they are not functionally obsolete. You, know, you have some of these homes with this weird kitchen thing where it's like a hallway, and people just don't like these floor plans these days. They want the kitchen and the dining room to be in one big room. Renters, again, can't be choosy. There is something to be said about an older home that is time tested and has got the kinks out, sort of like a car. Don't forget about capital expenditures. I have heard that certain areas, like in the 1980s or 1985, that they've used superior materials than today, and vice versa. It's really just too tough to know from a passive level. I mean, every market's different. You can't really pinpoint any certain time era. Maybe you can get something from an inspector and kind of piece together a story that way, but it's just too tough, and it's not worth creating a thesis on it. Question number nine: How do you manage your out-of-state properties? By the way, what challenges are you facing? People think that this out-of-state stuff is the hardest thing in the world. It's all about managing via email and phone and keeping those people accountable. It's just no different than corporate America. Be firm, and your leverage is to fire them if they're not performing. I know that I pay markups all the time, and I probably could run it better myself. In theory, of you know, no one will wax your car better than yourself. Too many people have this old school mentality that they need to live near their rental and do everything. Well, unfortunately, all these stupid money is around you, and they're bidding other properties up, and that's the downside of doing that strategy. I urge those who want to be landlords and not investors to read the book E Myth by Michael Gerber to open your eyes. So that's all the questions I had today. Now I bought my first turnkey back in 2013. Today, with the prices going up and more and more stock refugees coming to the turnkey world, you know margins are just getting smaller and smaller. I stopped buying a few months ago, and I don't really plan to buy anymore for a while. My issue is that one big item goes out, like an HVAC, that guarantees that you're going to lose money just cash flow wise for that year. Now, review my article on the hidden ways you're making money with real estate. The cash flow is just the tip of the iceberg. Remember, there are other ways that you're making money, such as the mortgage paydown, appreciation, and the tax benefits. This is why it's worth the extra effort over stocks and mutual funds. Even if you're not cash flowing anything with turnkey investments, you're still probably getting at least ten to twenty percent in the first few years of return. And this is greater than the eight to ten percent that we all hear about with stocks and mutual funds. So, is that extra ten twenty percent worth it to you? That's the question. I did not figure out how to do things until I got about three or four of these properties. Each time, I overpaid by a few thousand on each one because I just did not know what the heck to do. And you know, I read all the books and I talked to a lot of people, but you just don't know what you don't know. Remember the seventy twenty ten rule, where seventy percent is doing, twenty percent is learned by peers and mentorships, and ten percent is reading books and podcasts like this. My last piece of advice to leave you guys is: when you're buying in this kind of seller's market, just be patient and know your numbers. I update a little heat chart outlining what I think the best markets are in terms of cash flow and appreciation, 
where I show the nuances between, you know, Birmingham has more cash flow and Atlanta has more appreciation play and all the other markets. It's just my humble opinion and there's really no data behind it. It's just what I think. So if you want that, email me at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com with your name, turnkey, heat chart quadrant in the subject line and a screenshot of your iTunes review. Thanks. Bye. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.